demons, goblins, fairies, whatever you are, human, Our alien. normal target audience <laughs> of all the creatures. That is what it says on our analytics. Forget female, male age range. It's like, how old are they compared to the old oak tree in Mystical <laughs> Forest? Oh. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. Uh, that is Corinne. Hi. And I'm Sabrina. Sabrina. Hi. We will be doing our live show. When if, this episode comes out. Yeah. We will be sweating. Well, one of us will be sweating. Guess who? <laughs> the other one will be blacking out. <laughs> Guess who? It's going to be fun. I'm excited. I Well, this comes out technically three hours before our live show in LA time. So maybe people coming to our show can listen to this on the way to our show. Or if you didn't buy tickets yet, buy them right now and get your and butt to the Hollywood Improv and let's go. <laughs> let's go. I drove past the Hollywood Improv last week and then they, you know how they have the upcoming shows on. Mm-hmm. I, it was like up to January 8th. So like I've just missed, you know, like they're going to probably put ours. I'm going to drive pie again this week and do a walkthrough. Okay. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. So we got to figure out dinner plans because a lot of other people will this, this ticket option is right. sold out for the pre pre-show Show dinner. dinner. But I was yeah. like, is it weird for a talent to go sit in the <laughs> audience before and eat? Cause I want dinner. I mean, I don't think it's weird. We should do it. Also, there's so much good food in Hollywood. True. True. Oh my gosh. Well, if you guys are going to our show in a few hours, just know we're extremely nervous. <laughs> but we'll see you soon. <laughs> um, uh, scared. Speaking of ghosts, I have lots of ghost stories for you. Please tell. So, first of all, I'll just say my over the holidays, I went to Pennsylvania with to visit my mom and my family. And then I went to Minnesota to visit Nick and his family. And the differences couldn't be more different because... With my family, it's very like, so do you really believe in ghosts? At least with my extended family. Like, my direct family obviously believes in it. But my cousin was challenging me. and was like, do you really believe in ghosts? And then when I went to Minnesota, it was like, ghost story, ghost story, ghost story, ghost story. We all believe in ghosts. It was great. So we like Minnesota fam. Oh, yeah. We do. Oh, I I also got seen in Minnesota. Your first time. <laughs> I recognize. So I was at this cool, I'll get to my ghost stories, but this was like the coolest thing that ever happened. So now I understand how you feel all the time. Yeah, you you screenshotted the DM Mm -hmm. and it was like, she said like, oh, I just took your order for, and it was some like vegan or vegetarian dish. And I thought you were saying I was recognized at first and I was like, I would never order this. (laughs) That was (laughs) was not me. It was Broccoli's yeah, ghost. I was like, oh, that wasn't me. <laughs> Her name's Ina, and she works at uh, Volstead. So on New Year's Eve, Nick Nick's, and Nick's parents and I went to this really cool speakeasy in Minnesota. It's called Volstead's. And you, um, sit, we sat in this booth where there's a mirror, and the mirror pops open, and the waiter comes in, or waitress Wait. comes in <laughs> through the mirror. <laughs> it's so cool. Were you... This was a place in Minnesota, not like Disney World. I'm better than Disney World because it's Minnesota. But anyway, so we go and we're sitting there and we had a waitress and then like there's this little call button. We had ordered our drinks and we're like, oh, let's get appetizers now. So we press the little call button and Ina pops in and takes our order and we all like go about our night 
And then I, the next morning, check my Instagram and I have a direct message from her. And she's like, I don't know how to say this in a not creepy way, but I definitely work at Volstead's and I definitely popped in and took a cauliflower order from y'all tonight. You're rad. Enjoy Minneapolis. And she was like, I kind of regret not telling you my Lizzie Borden house story, but also my boss was giving me a lot of shit for recognizing you. <laughs> I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> and also... I'm I'm like surprised that she recognized you too, like out of California. All the times I've been I recognized were know. here in Boston, where it's like obviously people know yep. that I'm in Boston and you're in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So for her to be able to be like, oh my gosh, I know I'm in Minnesota, which is not where Sabrina is, but there she is. <laughs> yep, that's really exciting. I know it was really cool. Yeah, I was very happy, and I also really want to know what her Lizzie Borden story is. So now I'm going to start harassing her on Instagram. You made a mistake, Ina. Now we know. Now we need to know. Now we have your DM. And we access. know where you work. <laughs> we <laughs> we're creeps. <laughs> um, okay. okay, so what are your ghost stories? Ghost stories. Right. So uh, Nick's mom's side of the family is very, they've all had crazy paranormal experiences. And mm-hmm. uh, I was talking to Nick's mom and she was saying how they kind of didn't realize they were having experiences that they were all having experiences until they were much older. It was like 30 years later and they were kind of going around a campfire and like talking about stories and they're like, wait, but that happened to me too. So I was with Nick's mom and aunt and we had this bonfire outside of Minnesota and Nick's aunt Erin was saying how like she got measles once or some something and she was staying, she used to share a room with one of their other sisters. But so when she got sick, she had to go stay in, Nick's mom's room by herself and she said that she was visited by the devil okay more details please uh she said that like she just was like sick and woke up and saw the devil at the doorway and it was like trying to taunt her and tempt her towards him (gasps) yeah and then so then Nick's mom was like wait I was definitely visited by the devil as well in that room like that room specifically and kidding And then she said something and she was like, but the devil to me like presented itself as the wicked witch of the West from Wicked, Alphaba. And I don't know if I've ever told you this, Corinne, but I used to have reoccurring nightmares of the wicked witch of the West standing outside of my window on the front lot of my neighbor's house and it would slowly turn towards me and stare up at me and it was for sure some evil entity. That's very creepy. And so when she said that, I was like, oh. so I want to know if other people have seen evil representatives of the Wicked Witch of the West. Because I was like, I've never gotten such so many body chills. It also makes me wonder if perhaps this is going into past lives. You know how they say like souls travel together. There's a few souls that like you'll live many lives with. I wonder if you were always supposed to like meet Nick and be with his family. If Maybe it's not even about Nick. Sorry, Nick. What of <laughs> your traveling souls with like his mom and his grandma? And we're just seeing the Wicked Witch of the West because that's connected to a past life? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like the idea that I'm connected to his family, but I don't know. That's scary. Okay. But then, so Aaron, so Nick's aunt, has lives in a haunted farmhouse. And they have mm-hmm. seen so many spirits there. Nick once was like drinking in the basement and a wall, like a door that was basically had no way of falling, fell on top of them, like fell on them as they were like laughing and giggling. And this like spirit like uh, knocked the door down. And then 
Erin one night was sleeping and she felt someone walk into her room and then like saw this man sit on her bed. It was like an old man and uh, she yelled at him and was like, get out. And then she felt like so instantly bad because she knew that the spirit needed help or wanted something and then she never saw him again. But she says that she like sees and deals with spirits like all the time. And she listens to our podcast. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. And there's another story that I'm going to butcher because we were drinking a little bit. So um, one of their family members had been living at another old farmhouse and they have loads of ghost stories. We spent hours around a campfire just telling ghost stories. And I was like, these are my people. Isn't that the best? It's like you go home. It's whenever you're around people that you're not around every day, like relatives or family friends. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you get loads of stories. Yep. And then I started reading people. When my cousin was challenging me, I wanted to pull up emails from our podcast and start reading them to him because I was like, you don't get it. This yeah. is real. People experience this all the time. Well, and some people just like to argue. So I don't even argue with those people. Yeah. Well, like, do you really? I'm like, usually whenever someone's like, so do you believe do you believe in ghosts? I'm like, well, I grew up in a house that's spiritually haunted. And then they usually ask me to tell stories. So I usually tell some of the bad ones yeah. so that they're scared. Yeah. And then I, when people ask about the podcast, I always say, do you want to see a ghost photo? And then I'll pull up usually the plane crash one. Yeah, that one's really good. Well, sad, but that's just yeah, yeah, so yeah. clear. It's um, so clear and so frightening. The yeah, so my cousin when he was arguing with me, he was basically like being like, So you believe in ghosts? Like, I don't believe in them. And he was like, I just want them to prove themselves to me. And by the end of the conversation, he's like, Well, I believe in them, I just want them to show me a sign. And I I like hardly even contributed to the conversation. Like he just kind of talked himself in a circle and was like, Okay, well I do believe in them. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, That's kinda how most people are, right? Like we want proof of it, but yeah. people believe in it. It's one of those things too, you gotta tell him to chill out. His energies he's too he's too eager. Well, that's what people will say about me and aliens, and I still haven't been visited by them, so. <laughs> it's like when you're trying to approach an animal, and if you get a little too neurotic, they're like, whoa, buddy, don't touch me. I was going to let you before, but you just ruined it. It's like cats, specifically. Yeah, specifically like cats. <laughs> Although I met the, my, every week I meet my favorite dog. All the dogs <laughs> are my favorite. But I met another dog. I didn't get his name, but I was stopped in the middle of the sidewalk because I was texting and I can't text and walk. And I felt a little like scratch, like something was coming up my leg. And I was like, please don't be a squirrel. And then I turned around and this woman's like, I'm so sorry. And I looked down and it's the tiniest little terrier wiggling and smiling up at me. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best surprise. I didn't even know you were coming here. And he got so excited. (laughs) That's so cute. Have you seen Lisa, Kellen, and Durr's dogs? They were all at the party yesterday. No. You would have loved yesterday. So we did a denim party, and they all dressed their dogs up in denim. (laughs) And they're all little tiny dogs. And one of Kellen's dog, uh, Murphy, is just like this really long – I don't know what type of dog it is. It's the one – the, really the Italian greyhound, but like tiny. The Italian greyhound, is yeah. that what it is? Yeah. For some reason, I thought that was Stephen's dog because he's always carrying no. him. <laughs> yeah, Stephen's kind of like the dog carrier, but yeah. So they dressed Murphy in this little like overall outfit, and because it was cold yesterday, he was just shaking, or she was just shaking the whole time. We had to like Aww. wrap her up in people's clothes. It was really cute. And also, Italian greyhounds it. need constant comfort 
They're oh. very attached to their people, so they always have to be with their owners. They have separation anxiety. And they're cold because they're tiny. I want one. Yeah, you need to get a dog. I need a dog-friendly apartment first. You'll make a podcast about your dog, and you'll leave me behind. <laughs> These are my fears in 2019. <laughs> That's the nightmare I have now. I don't see the Wicked Witch of the West anymore. I see Corinne starting her own podcast with her dog. Well, Sabrina, here's here's the number one reason why that would never happen. <laughs> it's okay. because when you and I started the podcast, mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out how to link up an RSS feed to iTunes. <laughs> you had to do it. So I don't even know how to start a podcast. All right, fair. And I won't I help you. I watched 30 hours of YouTube. You watched two. <laughs> you were able to do it. I take pride in my knowledge of technology. Yeah, that was that was good for you. <laughs> proud of you. Okay. Okay. So I think you're first this week. Yeah, because we posted our uh, show for last week from the Outliers Podcast Festival. Correct. So the topic we picked was doctors and nurses specifically not as much hospitals which we'll cover eventually i think we've done we've done it but we'll do it again because there's just so many we better do it again because when we first started doing this week's episode research i did (laughs) hospitals so i already have mine ready for when we do it next (laughs) well i kind of i kind of did a hospital that has a, a nurse because it was hard to just find a nurse okay yeah it was. Okay. And the one that I chose is a tough one, too, because it's a pretty detailed account that came from one specific person, Ruby V, who's a nurse. She posted her this experience that I'm going oh, to retell cool. to you. She posted her experience on a nursing site. And then on this nursing site, at the bottom of the article where people can comment, there are a bunch of other nurses who are like, oh, oh my gosh, something so similar happened to me at the hospital I work at. Oh, I love that. So I don't really have much confirmation that you know, this story, Ruby's story is all true or accurate, but the amount of people who have been commenting underneath makes me think that we should hear Ruby out. Yes, definitely. Right. Plus, plus she posted it on a nursing site. What if I just said no? Then I'd move on to the other research I did for the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) My backup. (laughs) Okay. It was Ruby's very first nursing job after school And she was brought on to a hospital where she pretty much was the only inexperienced person. Everyone else who'd been hired there had many years under their belt. um, And she was really the only green person hired fresh out of college. So she, as a result, didn't really get great training. Mm -hmm. um, And she was like, "Uh, okay, I guess I'll just try to figure it out as I go which wasn't really working too well for her. She was given eight patients to care for, and she was really struggling to keep up and to tend to all of them. Plus, she was just out of school. So, I mean, practice versus actually, like, studying in a book, like, those two things can be pretty different. So she said that she had kind of, like, this this gap of knowledge, and she really wished that there was someone else to, you know, help her out when she had certain questions. And she was nervous that she'd do something wrong. So... I think it was one part her timidness because she didn't want to like risk doing anything wrong, obviously, because it's someone's life. Right. And then two, she was fresh out of college and suddenly given this like large amount of patients to care for all at once. Right. So at this particular time, she was caring for 
caring for eight patients. And she was very miserable. She lost all of her confidence. She was crying after work every single day. And she got very little help or assistance because, I mean, all of the other nurses and staff had their own patients. Right. So it's not like someone has all this free time to be like, yeah, I'll walk around with you and help you with everything. But, like, uh, that's such a bummer because I feel like that's how it should be set up. You know what? I feel like maybe it's just because I'm in Boston and this is, like, a hub of hospitals and right. nursing programs. But and I feel like there's so many people going into the healthcare industry now yeah. that hopefully we'll have no shortage of mm-hmm. helpers. But yeah, so she did say that she got a little bit of assistance here and there from different nursing assistants, but that wasn't like a huge help too, because like some of the people that were helping her didn't exactly know all the things that she had questions about. Mm -hmm. So she was still just like super overwhelmed, super drowning in her work and just also felt pretty bad about herself because she, she knew people were talking about her and complaining about her and saying that she didn't deserve to be there. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's so Tough sad. first job. Jeez. Things got worse one night when all eight of her patients were in need of care. So it wasn't like she just needed, needed to check up on them. Like she actually had to tend to all of them and they were all requiring a lot of assistance. So she was really struggling with balancing it. And there were no other staff members to jump in at this time. So she had to do like meds and everything else by herself. And she said that she was literally running from room to room. And then she just about lost it in the middle of her shift when she heard that the night nurse who was supposed to come in was not coming in anymore. So the first few hours she was like, I'm miserable, but like pretty soon the night nurse is going to be coming in and is going to help me. But then the night nurse called out. And so she was like, this is the worst day ever. Oh, my gosh. She really needed the extra help. She needed the extra knowledge from the night nurse. And so now she wouldn't have that. And she was freaking out. And eventually the night assistant who had been helping her a little bit here and there at the beginning of her shift went home because it was the end of their shift. So this left Ruby like basically completely alone. Like there was no one. When did she get to sleep? Well, she was working at night shift. Oh, It's like nurses. I mean, from what I know from people I know, Mm -hmm. nurses here in my book group, usually you... Well, depending on your schedule, but like every once in a while, nurses will have to do a night shift. Right, right. Sorry, I thought this was spanning multiple days and I was like, has she gone home yet? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like she's generally right, assigned just during, eight yeah. patients and she goes in. Right, okay. And so this time she she was working the night shifts and was left completely alone and there was supposed to be another person on staff, but that person called out. Oh, that's so... right. Um, And then she was assigned more patients and she was just like praying that she would not cause any deaths over the over the night. And she was just stressed as anyone as I feel stressed right now, even trying to retell this story. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She was reminded by other staff there that was like not, you know, obviously in the hospital, there's going to be other wards and staff members around, but not necessarily ones that are assigned to her area and to help her but there were other people around and they did remind her that she needed to do hourly checks on each patient and so she was supposed to check in on every single patient every hour so you might be like okay well that makes sense you just pop your head in and you say hey how you doing good okay all right bye but But. (laughs) when you have a bunch of people who do need help 
you don't just walk in and can leave within three minutes. Like right. she has to check on vitals. She's distributing medicine. She's replacing mm-hmm. any old wrappings. She might have to do certain tests, urine tests, blood tests. She has to give whatever sort of care that's needed in the moment. Right. And so it's not that easy to just like pop in and check on eight, eight. to 12 patients yeah. every hour. Oh, it's, gosh. Yeah. So she was trying her best. And she was in one of the rooms hanging up an IV mm-hmm. when an older nurse wearing an old fashioned nursing uniform quietly entered the room. And Ruby was like, oh, it must be the night nurse's supervisor taking on some of the night nurse's duties since the night nurse called out. And the woman signaled to Ruby and said, Ruby, I think you'd better look at room eight. And so then Ruby went over to room eight and she found a patient, an elderly woman who had tried to get up from her bed and ended up getting like, tangled in her sheets and was kind of like half hanging off the bed. So Ruby got her situated. Wow. And then the older nurse came in again and said, room six needed some assistance. So Ruby went to that room and found her patient was in respiratory distress. And so she called the doctor, which is what she was supposed to do going through the procedure right. of what to do when someone's, you know, can't breathe. Wow. So Ruby was a little stressed out because obviously room six and room eight had some incidents that required a lot more time and a lot of stress and she missed checking on a few of her patients every hour like she was supposed to so she goes to check on each of the patients that she missed and one of the patients an elderly woman was awake when ruby came in to check on her Mm -hmm. and the woman said oh you don't have to worry about me dear the other nurse has been checking on me every hour just like clockwork oh my god chills and ruby (laughs) knew that she was the only nurse in the section and so She checked with a couple of the other staff members working in other sections, and everyone was like, yeah, no, there's no one else. We didn't go over there. So Ruby's like, oh, well, it must have been the night nurse's supervisor again. Like, she's really helping me out tonight. Mm. So the next hour when Ruby's doing her rounds, the elderly patient, that elderly woman, once again says, oh, you just missed that other nurse. She told me I was doing just fine. Wow. Ruby leaves the room. And down the hall, she sees the supervisor walking into the very last room. And so Ruby's like, oh, great. She's been helping me. I'll go walk over to that room and thank her for helping me. So Ruby power walks to the end of the hall. Oh, my God. And she goes into the patient's room. And there's no nurse. There's no supervisor. No one at all except for the sleeping patient in their bed. And at this point, Ruby's like, okay, something's a little off. I think I've seen a ghost. Yeah. So she goes to another nurse and she starts asking some questions. She doesn't outright say anything, but she's just, you know, trying to get some information. And she ends up finding out that there are a few stories just like this one. There's a legend of an old nurse who's worked here or worked here 30 years ago. And she's occasionally seen checking in on patients. But the nurse who told Ruby this was like, but don't worry, it's just folklore. The nurses around here like to tell themselves that to entertain themselves on the really slow nights. Like, that's probably what you're thinking of. And Ruby was like, oh, okay. But all the while knew that she witnessed the real thing. Yeah. And so that was that for the end of the night. And she didn't see this ghost nurse again, until another night shift that she had on Christmas Eve. (gasps) This nurse came in and told Ruby to check on one of the patient's stat. And so Ruby went immediately. And as soon as she entered the hallway, the nurse who was just in the doorway was nowhere. And you don't just disappear in a matter of seconds. So Ruby was like, she was like, this is confirmation that that woman is a ghost. Totally. 
And so later on in the night, she saw the ghost nurse once again walking into a patient's room. So Ruby ran to investigate. And just like the first time, she found no one in the room. She did not say anything to her coworkers because she did not want them to think that she was crazy because they already thought that she wasn't good enough. So she was like, I'm not going to tell anyone. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Could you imagine like, I mean, that's shitty that her coworkers are don't like her but like yeah then then for them to think that she's lost her mind and seeing things is probably right so ruby just sits on this information for the rest of the night and the next day when she comes into work her head nurse calls her into the office to discuss how it was handling the high number of patients that she had on christmas eve and working the night shift and so ruby goes into the head nurse's office And the nurse closes the door and says, I was worried about you. You had a hard time catching on, but Martha gave you her seal of approval. And Ruby goes, "Uh, oh, um, sorry, who's Martha? Oh, my God. And it was then that the head nurse opens the desk drawer and pulls out an old photograph of a nurse who used to work in the hospital many years ago. The exact person in the exact uniform that Ruby had seen. Oh, my gosh. And so Ruby's trying to play it cool at this point and not tell her boss, like, oh, my God, it's a ghost. Like, are you testing me? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know, like, an evil prank or something that the whole hospital is playing on her. So she's trying to play it cool. And Ruby asks the woman or Ruby asks what the woman's role is at the hospital. Like, oh, who's Martha? Like, what what does she do here? And then she was like, because that I'm curious because that woman in the photograph actually helped me out during my shift last night. Right. And the head nurse tells her that the woman in the photograph, Martha, was the head nurse before she was the head nurse and was actually the one that trained her on the job. What? So Martha actually ended up passing away in that hospital and supposedly in that office where they were standing when she was the night nurse. She must have had a heart attack or something and passed away right there. Oh, my gosh. Um, And many people have claimed to see her. On difficult nights when it's hard to get to everyone and send to everyone and they feel understaffed. Wow. And the head nurse then said to Ruby, well, if Martha thinks you're worth helping out, then you're going to be a good nurse someday. Someday, but not now. (laughs) Not now, Ruby. (laughs) Not quite there yet. So Ruby only saw Martha one other time when Martha let her know that her patient was dying. (gasps) Oh, But Ruby believes that Martha is actually still around, just possibly not presenting herself to Ruby directly because occasionally Ruby will walk in and her patients will say something like, oh, that other nurse checked on me already. I wonder if uh, her name is Martha, right? The ghost? Yes. I wonder if Martha has found another nurse who needs more hands-on help and so she saves her energy to appear to that nurse and Perhaps. has decided that ruby can handle most of it on her own right i just love that thought that it's like in that first night it's like she ruby didn't know yeah like martha helped out so much she was so present saying like right. oh hey honey like and tiptoeing in to not disturb the patient like really quietly like oh hey ruby i think you need to check on room three I know. I love that. Oh, my God. Like, hey, hon, can I interrupt for a second? Yeah. I think we need some assistance over here. And she was, yeah, she told her every time that they really did need assistance. Yeah. And then that one patient who was awake was like, oh, yeah, she's been coming in every hour and doing the checks. You don't need to. I also <laughs> love the idea of like a job where the seal of approval comes from a ghost. 
and right. they're all on board with it. <laughs> they're like, "Oh, Martha helped you. Okay, I guess, I guess you have potential." Martha likes you, so we'll we'll keep you on. Yeah, <laughs> it's also surprising to me that it's kind of it was thought to be like folklore around mm-hmm. the office, around the hospital, but the like head nurse was like, "Oh yeah, no, that's the the person people claim to see and pretend is not real." Yeah, was my supervisor. Wow. When I first started. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. A helping ghost. I like that. That's a nice, happy story. Yes. Nurse, head nurse Martha. Yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Okay. So I kind of cheated then and did more of a hospital route, but it has, <laughs> it has a nurse because <laughs> I don't know what was going on in my mind, but I was like, oh, it has to be like, it, like I I kept seeing posts from nurses and their their experiences, but I was like, that's not what I'm, that's not what the topic is. I have to find a ghost of a nurse or a ghost of a doctor. Anyway, mine does have a ghost nurse, but it's also a hospital. So it's called okay. Beechworth Lunatic Asylum. And it's also known as the Beechworth Hospital for the Insane or the Mayday Hills Mental Hospital Ward. I'm or assuming just, it's abandoned now. Yes, ma'am. Based it's, on the name Lunatic Asylum. Correct. I mean, some of the buildings are still utilized for, or like have been uh, repurposed for other things, mm-hmm. but it is mostly abandoned and it is located in Beechworth, which is a town in Victoria, Australia. And it is, it has been voted as the most haunted building in Australia. Which that says a lot because if you think of all the scary things that live in Australia, if the right. building is worse than all of Everything that can get you. And it's believed that around 9,000 people died within its walls. The spirits that are there are all very angry. And I'll go over a bunch of the spirits, but there's only one spirit there that seems to be a little bit more pleasant. And her name is Matron Sharp. And she was a nurse there. And she was known to be the only or one of the only nurses and aides at the hospital. Sorry, at the asylum. Mm-hmm. who was kind to the patient oh good for her yeah but also, also screw everyone else right <laughs> devastating to think that only one nurse was like kind to all of them and right you it know, should have been there's only one crooked person right but unfortunately not the opposite way that's not the case beechworth was founded in 1867 and it was built by prisoners at a local jail and kind of from inception and from the start of construction, things were a little negative because these prisoners would spend all day building the building and they started with the cellar. And then, so they built the cellar basically right away. And then the guards who were watching the prisoners would lock the prisoners in the cellar at night. So they wouldn't go back to their prison where they had like nice beds. I mean, in comparison to a cellar. They would be locked in the cellar at night and they'd stay there alone. The guard would go home to their families and leave the prisoners without supervision alone in the cellar. And apparently these prisoners were just became super unruly and it's believed would like attack each other or other foul behavior would happen um, because they had no supervision. And then the next morning the guards would return, unlock them, and then they'd continued to build the structure so already there's this negative energy about the property and then it was originally built for overflow so it housed 1200 people at a time and 
as we often hear of asylums and hospitals, you know, they kind of overcrowd them regardless of how many it was built for. So conditions were not very fit for human life. And then in the, at that time in the 1860s and the 1800s, what is the number one thing that they would do to fix mental illness? Lobotomies. Yeah. And electric electroshock therapy. So Oh, sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't guess the right answer. <laughs> it's okay. It's both of them. Um, but yeah, those were kind of the main methods of healing at the time, um, which we now know is horrible and terrible. Mm-hmm. Which uh, we should have known was horrible back then, too. You would hope, but you know, we've done some really cruel things in the past and continue mm-hmm. to do some cruel things today. And hopefully one day we'll learn from our mistakes. The, so the hospital appeared to be this beautiful, blissful place to send maybe people that were mentally ill or who just needed, who couldn't fit society as it was determined to be in that time because it had its own, uh, it was built to be self-sufficient. So it seemed like this great place to send someone and they had a they had a hospital, they had a farm, orchards, gardens, animals, fields, stables, a barn, tennis courts, cricket pavilion, a theater, a toy shop. Like it just in theory it sounded like this great mental institution. Mm-hmm. But on the inside it was just cruel happenings and horrible. And they also they had these walls called the ha ha walls, which is literally just like describes this what this hospital this asylum was like because they're what these walls are is like on the outside they look like they're really short so it looks like it gives the idea that the people inside the asylum are not being held against their will but on inside of the grounds the walls are built into these trenches so they're way taller so if you're inside the property there's no hope or no way to escape over that but on the outside it looks like this beautiful peaceful land oh and they're called haha walls. Like, it's literally laughing in your face. And also, in order to get admitted into this asylum, you just needed one doctor's signature. So basically, a husband who was like, my wife is insane and I don't want to deal with her anymore, could just have a doctor agree and then, bye-bye. And then she would be getting electroshock therapy. And Like, it's just horrible. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And so it closed its doors officially in 1995 after 128 years of operation and... There are varying reports, but there are anywhere between 3,000 and 9,000 deaths at the asylum. I think it's more towards 9,000, but there's one room specifically where there are 3,000 recorded deaths. Uh. Yeah. And that was the electroshock therapy lobotomy, lobotomy room. Oh, my God. So it's now open for tours. You can go for ghost tours, and they have, like, overnight stays, slumber parties. Um, before I get into the ghosts... There, I just wanted to, I think this is very ironic because the head superintendent, whose name was Dr. Thomas Dick, who was the very first superintendent of the asylum, was so paranoid that the moon is what made people crazy that he would never go outside at night without an umbrella to like shield him from the moon. It sounds like he himself was a little bit may of a have black. benefited from being admitted into his own hospital yes so this is why i thought it was ironic because he was one of the people heading the charges literally the charges of um electroshock shock therapy okay ghosts 
So before I get into Matron Sharp, I feel like I have to tell about all the evil ghosts and sad ghosts that are there because they are important to the space. Um, And they also have tons and tons of pictures and photos caught of ghosts from Beechworth Asylum. So we'll post those on social media. But there's a wing called Gravelia Wing. It was the male infirmary, which was then became a mental stability ward. And it's the wing that every patient feared, including staff, because it was the infectious disease room and the space where they would perform electroshock therapy and lobotomies. So of the now 9,000 recorded deaths at Beechworth, over 3,000 of them happened in this specific space, which kind of guarantees that there's going to be some paranormal paranormal happenings. Mm-hmm. And most people who went into that room did not come out alive. And so there's a lot of anger in the space and the spirits there will make people very uncomfortable. People will get nauseous and have to leave. There's one paranormal investigation group called Haunting Australia. It's kind of like a Ghost Adventures. It's a TV show, but it's called Haunting Australia. And they caught a picture of a little girl holding a teddy bear and she's kind oh of gosh. peering out of a doorway and it's so clear. Uh, I'll send it to you. And then there's, Yeah, I'm dying to see it. They've also caught a photo of a shadow figure. Ugh. Okay, I'll send them both to you right now. Oh my god. Like it's oh. so clear. <gasps> my whole body. <laughs> body. I'll have to That's, find the shadow person one it's later. It's scary and it's sad because it's yeah. like she's just kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah. And so Haunting Australia is led by the notorious ghost hunter Alan Tiller, and they also caught an EVP of a like ominous entity saying, get out, which, as we know, is their favorite two words to say. And then also in the children's ward, there were many children who were beat to death. And, and you know, it's kind of believed that or it was said to be accidental. But I feel like based on those conditions, I don't really think it was accidental. I think there was some anger amongst the doctors and they took it out on people so this one woman was on a tour at beechworth and she said that she could hear a bunch of giggling and laughter of children but she didn't see any children aside from her son who was right next to her who came on the tour with her and that is common like a lot of adults will hear laughter and giggling and like the sounds of children running around as if they're playing and then her son starts speaking to something or to someone oh and she's like uh dude what are you doing little guy and he's like i'm talking to the little boy his name's james he used to live here too much detail i don't i, I don't want to <laughs> know about james but so yeah i feel like there are a lot of kid spirits there because they unfortunately passed away there um and most adults can't see them but they'll hear them but then the children who go will see them, which I think is interesting, but also mm. makes sense because I feel like children can see everything. Then in the basement, in the basement, it is said, this is like kind of rumor. I don't know how true it is, but who knows if they're giving people lobotomies. And there's also all the asylums that in America where doctors were running their own crazy examinations or tests on bodies. Mm-hmm. So it said in the basement, the doctors would store bodies and they'd like perform experiments on them. And there's also a rumor that they would perform demonic rituals and sacrifices down in the basement. So I don't know. Take it with a grain of salt. But that is just what I write. Um, 
a lot of patients actually went missing and so like they so i think this is where the rumor came from like patients would go missing and the doctors would cover it up and just say like they ran away or like or like an accident happened or like oh we never had record for that patient and so people believe that like these are the patients that they ended up using for their rituals then there's the bullpen or the bullpit which was utilized as a space for young men who were mentally ill as well as it also held overflow from the prisons around the area and it was built to house men between the ages of 13 and 26, but records state that they were young boys as young as six years old there. And it's one of the most active spaces in the facility, and the people who work there say that they have not had a single night where they haven't had an experience in that room. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, then it seems like anyone who's dying to experience something paranormal should probably go there. Yes. Definitely. But... There are also a lot of, like, ghosts that scratch people. So there's two ghosts that believe to haunt the recreation hall. One is a young girl who is not like the other children who, like, laugh and run around the ground. She is this kind of solemn, miserable, scary-looking girl who just stares at the wall. And then if you enter, will, like, turn back and stare at you. And then she'll go back to the wall and start scratching at the concrete. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then there's an old man who similarly doesn't seem happy, but is standing or is seen standing at the windows with his back towards visitors. And it's as if he's just looking out the window, wishing for freedom, which is just sad. That's very sad. Then there's the the 80s kitchen, which was built in the 1980s, so a very original name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one's really scary. There's a corner called Benjamin's Corner, and he was. He looks to be about eight years old, and they have had many conversations with this spirit who used to be in the bull pit but somehow escaped and now just like sits in the corner of the kitchen and lurks there. And oh God. he is violent and will scratch people, but he also, oh my God, this is so scary. Remember in The Exorcist how, uh, is it The Exorcist? Yeah, where the little girl like go- runs backwards down the stairs. Oh, yeah. So Benjamin does that. Oh my God. He will kind of like bend backward and then sprint towards people running on his hands and feet, but upside down. So like that crawling and like sprint towards people like that. And it's terrifying. And then other times he'll just kind of like stand there and like kind of like bent neck lady, crook his oh. neck and stare at people. Oh. <laughs> And then there's Tommy Kennedy, who's also in the kitchen, who was brutally murdered in the kitchen with another patient because um, there was like a fight in the kitchen about food and another patient grabbed knives and started stabbing Tommy and another patient. So Tommy's spirit has been seen often in the kitchen area and he will often like pull up people's clothing and then other people will hear pots and pans banging, water will turn on by itself, all this stuff. And this is, okay, ooh, this is very scary. Okay, so there's this guy named Luke Clifford who once went to Beechworth Asylum and did a ghost tour, and they were in the cellar, and all of a sudden he felt like something grabbed his right arm, and there was he was next to a wall. And so he was like, I feel really uncomfortable, and the tour guide kind of looked at him and was like, yeah, 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 like, you need to leave. So they turn the lights on, and everyone starts leaving the cellar, And as he's walking up the stairs, he was the last one out. He was leaving, like, at the back of the group. As he's walking up the cellar, he feels two hands 
grab into his back and just scratch. Oh, he just has really bad scratches. It does look like two hands have just scratched him. Other people have seen shadows. People have seen glowing red eyes staring back at them. People say that they've seen the devil himself at Beechworth. And like I said, they've caught a shadow person on camera. Others will just feel something dark and heavy following them around that won't leave them until they leave the property entirely. And others will feel like an energy is trying to take over their body. That's like... Possession. Why would... Yeah. And also just what what makes people feel compelled to go there knowing what things happen to other people? You know, like this picture with the scratches on the back looks so horrible and painful. I know. But I feel like that happens to such few, like a few amount of people that, especially if you're looking for ghosts, like this is a sure bet, like you're likely going to see one or experience something paranormal. And that doesn't necessarily yeah. mean the negative ones, you know, I don't right. know. But these people f- who feel the energy taking over their soul uh, will start to feel they will start to become physically sick. They'll get cramps and get dizzy. And I kind of started thinking, I was like, not that we know anyone who's really been possessed, but I wonder if that's like the common side effects. Like if those are like the beginning of a possession. Side effects include dizziness, nausea, bleeding. Please do not operate heavy machinery while this demon takes over your soul. I mean, perhaps. Like we we haven't been possessed that we know of. But so, I hope we never ever have to. Right. It's, yeah, we just... It's possible. Yeah. Because I feel like there's such a distinction between feeling an energy around you and a feeling an energy entering you and trying to take right. over you. It reminds me of the haunting of the Hill House, you know, oh. entering and suddenly being overwhelmed with a certain feeling or, yep. Yep. you know, swayed to think or feel one way versus another. So now that you know all the scary things, I'm going to leave or I'm going to end with the happy. I saved Matron Sharp for the end because she's the happy spirit thank goodness i forgot we were even talking about <laughs> nurses at this point um right so with all the horrors there is one beacon of hope some light and her name is matron sharp and she is one of the most frequently seen ghosts at beechworth because she kind of is seen all over the hospital rather than confined to one space like many of the other ghosts So during life, Matron Sharp spent much of her nursing career at Beechworth, and she's often called the Florence Nightingale of Beechworth, which is, if people don't know, Florence Nightingale was this infamous nurse who was known for creating and implementing policies around proper health, I think during the Crimean War. Fun fact to tell your friends. Um, I already forgot every detail you just told me. (laughs) So anyway, people thought Matron Sharp was like the, you know, she kind of realized that the... policies and healthcare being provided to these people at the asylum wasn't correct and so she tried to do her best to help the patients and then also like she knew she couldn't herself make those changes because it was much bigger than herself but she knew that she could help provide happiness or some kind of positivity to the patients who were undergoing these procedures so she and then she also, what I love about her, she, like, brought flowers and, like, linens and from her own home. And she, like, kind of decorated the asylum to make it a little bit homier rather than mm-hmm. white walls and, like, straight jackets. And today she is seen floating down the corridors as if she's checking in on her patients. 
She will also run up to people as if to greet them as they come in through the door, which makes me think that maybe some people who will enter are reincarnated as past souls who were there or, and she recognizes them, or maybe they just look alike a patient that she had at, in her life. I don't know. Does she greet them like by name or as if she already knows them or does she just say like, welcome? Uh, it's kind of greeting them, but she only does it to specific people. Like she doesn't know always do it. Interesting. Yeah. It okay. And then so as she can be seen like roaming around, but also sometimes it seems a little bit like a residual haunting because in certain patient rooms, people will find Matron Sharp kind of bent over as if she's holding the hand of a patient, and she looks like she's calming like an un- unseen entity or energy, which makes it seem like maybe she's reliving a past experience with a patient who was undergoing electroshock therapy. I wow. Know. But I also wonder if maybe there is another spirit there that we just can't see. Who knows? And in that time when people see her in that position, people say that the room will feel very heavy and cold as if they're standing in a place of like very heavy sorrow, which makes sense considering the activity of the uh, right. asylum. And I do like the thought that she's still there and perhaps with the spirit of the children, yeah. with the spirits of the children, she's the one that's kind of, you know, still tending to them. Yeah, I like that too. And also, so she, when she died, she died before the hospital closed and then it still operated as a, a hospital, but it was way, obviously it was like the 1990s, so it was a lot more up to code and less electroshock therapy and more caring for the patients and there were more Mm -hmm. rules in place but it was said that nurses who worked at the hospital then would see matron sharp's spirit and matron sharp would like go into patients rooms and just sit with them and kind of talk to them and take care of them very nice of her yes we have two nice ghost nurses i know this week and a lot of scary ones in mine but I feel yeah, like they're, they're other horrifying spirits in your but hospital. But they're just angry because of everything that went on in their lives and all the injustices that they faced, you know? I feel like I don't blame them for being angry or miserable or wanting revenge because yeah. they were treated so poorly. But And like we've said before in the past, when negative things happen somewhere, it also attracts other negativity. Correct. So, you know, whether it's a patient that used to be there or a crooked doctor or maybe just some evil type of entity who's like yeah i'm digging these grounds let me stay here i'm posting up we you know could be any of the above i've been reading so much about um mental institutions just for something i'm writing right now and so i watched one flew over the cuckoo's nest and i'm reading the bell jar and it's just so sad i know they're fiction but it's just at that time the way that we treated people with mental illness is just very sad right and yeah it's not to say that the way we handle it now is anywhere near perfect either right right at least there's some awareness whereas in the past there is little compassion at least we're not taking out people's frontal lobes of their brain oh my god and okay so just leave it on this the remaining building and grounds are Used as a hotel and a conference center by La Trobe University. And I'm sure people see ghosts all the time there. 
And then the gardens are open to the public. And then the college also rents out the Chapel of Resurrection, which used to be the asylum's morgue. And so people get married there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Crazy people. (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, although most of it's kind of been repurposed to fit into these universities or uh, uh, wedding venue, I don't know, uh, you can still visit the asylum and they have historical and ghost tours. Jesus. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's Beechworth Lunatic Asylum and Matron Sharp. <sighs> There's a lot going on there. Some good, some bad. <laughs> I wonder if any of the weddings that have taken place there have caught anything odd in their photos. Oh, that'd be interesting. Right? Your whole wedding album is just a compilation Orbs. of ghosts in the corners. <laughs> Who's that in that photo? I don't. Is that one of your family members? You know what's next. Listener stories. This is from Joe. It's called Abandoned Hospital, Violent Ward Experience. Hi, ladies. I'd like to start by apologizing for the length of the story. It's okay, Joe. We're reading it anyway. Yeah. To introduce myself, I am a seasoned urban explorer. For those that don't know, urban exploring is an exploration of abandoned locations. I've been doing this for seven years along with professional photography, so I take this very seriously and professionally. This is the first disclaimer to my story. That is a really cool job. So cool. (laughs) Urban explorer. That's awesome. I'd be scared to do it alone. I hope that (laughs) there's a team Last weekend, I went to an abandoned psychiatric hospital that opened in the early 1800s and closed in the late 1990s. I had been here once before in January 2017 and experienced no issues whatsoever. This particular morning was like many of the mornings I have gone exploring. My partner and I woke up in the middle of the night in order to be inside of the building before the sun rose. Oh, God, I didn't (laughs) know that's how they do it. Yeah, you have to be there before the sun rises? Jeez. This is a common occurrence since it's easier to not be seen at night. Oh, okay. Well, that's the explanation. Because they're trespassing. The cover of darkness works in our favor. We entered the building at about 6 a.m. and made our way up to the top floor. We found a room that was full of comfortable chairs and sat down, awaiting the sun to arise so that we could start shooting. We were in this dark room with only the fluorescent lights of the building's spotlights seeping through the cracks of the sealed windows, relaxing, chatting, scrolling through our phones before we decide to close our eyes and get some rest before we started shooting. I close my eyes for maybe two minutes when I hear four heavy boot-like footsteps from the stairwell that was right outside of our room. My first thought was, oh shit, it's security. They must be in the building. But I thought harder and listened. Nothing else. No voices, keys jangling, footsteps, radios, nothing. Just silence. And I was a bit shaken due to how real it sounded, but I quickly brushed it off to my partner, saying, I would rather be a ghost than security. We nervously laughed, (laughs) both mentally chalking it up to the building making that noise and didn't discuss it again. The sun rose, and we took our camera gear to start shooting. The sun rose, and we took out our camera gear to start the shooting. After about 20 minutes of shooting, my partner suggested we go down to to the violent ward and shoot the ECT room. Once again, for those who don't know, the ECT is electroconvulsive therapy, aka electroshock therapy. In this room is the original bed, the EEG machine, and the shock machine itself named Master Shocker. I had photographed this room in 2017, but my photo was not in focus, so I was eager to go back. 
The violent ward is exactly as it sounds. It housed the most dangerous, violent patients that resided within the asylum. As soon as we got to the ward, we poked around a bit before making it to the ECT room, and that's when it happened. I looked in the room, and I felt this unexplainable discomfort. I didn't know what it was, but it only lasted for a few seconds as the next event somewhat traumatized me. I stood in the doorway with my partner behind me, and I extended my tripod leg. The second that the leg touched the ground, two aggressively loud bangs came from the wall, followed by a slew of paint chips falling onto the floor. I don't mean knocks or taps. I mean loud, angry bangs that I could only compare to the sound of someone slamming a slam hedge a sledgehammer down twice within one or two seconds of each other. The part that frazzles me the most is the paint chips falling off of the walls. These walls are extremely thick, and this ward is only one story high. There was nothing that could possibly exert that much force in the building that would affect the peeling paint chips on the wall in a way that they would come crumbling off of the wall. I was shocked and horrified, and I took a photo and had to leave the area immediately due to discomfort. After we left the violent ward, we continued shooting other areas of the hospital. Everything seemed fine until we were preparing to exit the building. We were underground in the tunnels, preparing to exit out of the basement door. All of our gear and flashlights were put away, so we were standing in the complete darkness. Before my partner opened the door, we heard voices, but not human voices. They were seemingly disbodied. They sounded like multiple whimsical whispers. We didn't take a second to discuss. We just bolted <laughs> out the door and discussed it later. Now, it's not done here. Side note, I photograph on film, so I cannot see my photos until a few days later after I develop and scan them. I was extra curious about the shot from the ECT room in the violent ward, wondering if I would see anything paranormal on the photo. After developing and scanning, at first glance, it looked fine, but then I zoomed in. Every part of the photo that was the actual machine slash bed in the room is extremely distorted in a dark, almost burned looking way. Other areas of the photo, such as the wall, light, and windows, don't have any of these artifacts on them. None of my other photos looked like this, even though three others were scanned at the same time. I rescanned the image a few days later, and the photograph looked as normal as it does in real life. And that is my true story of what happened to me only two weekends ago. I can honestly say that in the seven years that I have been doing this, in the hundreds of abandoned hospitals, prisons, institutions, etc. that I've been inside of, I've never had something quite as memorable and spooky happen to me. My partner, who was a hardcore skeptic, has since revoked all of his skepticism <laughs> and claims it was the weirdest, most unexplainable experience in his life. Happy Halloween. Oh, she sent this in October. Happy Halloween, my best friend, and I love your podcast and always look forward to new episodes. I hope to hear you read this story someday on the podcast. Hey. See you on the other side. XO, Joe. Damn. Okay, when she said that she had that weird feeling when they walked into that room, mm -hmm. I immediately thought maybe she was experiencing what it felt like for a spirit to be shocked. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's just probably darkness there something creepy and it's just like the fight or flight kicks in i i i feel like an urban explorer would experience so many different ghosts or paranormal entities yeah and you can totally go into like a rabbit hole on youtube with urban explorers coming across creepy things like weird noises and yeah. like abandoned minds and voices oh gosh so creepy 
But I'm glad to hear that Joe, I mean, this is obviously frightening, but I'm glad to hear someone else was with her during the experience. Yes. And that usually nothing does happen, you know? Yeah. Yep. Because it's not like she's actively going ghost hunting. She's going to photograph abandoned places. So she's not seeking out these really scary experiences every time, I don't think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's not looking for ghosts. She's not looking for the ghosts. Okay, this is from Mickle, and it's titled Doppelganger. Hey, ladies and ghosts, I just listened to episode 47, The Glitch, and I wanted to share my doppelganger story. Miriam Webster defines doppelganger as a double, or an alter ego, or a person who has the same name as another, or a ghostly counterpart of a living person. I grew up in Palm Springs, California. It's a small city with a pretty good-sized population. In all of my life, I heard stories of my double. A lot of it was random and silly, people easily confusing me for someone else. I even had a few friends that looked a lot like me. So I understand how people can make a mistake like that. Someone would say something like, I saw you at Shakey's Pizza last Tuesday when I was at my dad's house in a completely different city, two hours away on this said Tuesday. I hear this shrug and say, that wasn't me. In these situations, no one speaks to me or anything. They see me. No big deal. Mistaken identity. There are two incidents that stand out, though. They both happened relatively close to each other in 92 and 93. The first incident happened as my mother and I were heading out. We were walking through my apartment complex towards my mom's car, and as we were turning a corner, corner, we run across one of our neighbors. Now, first off, I'm not going to lie. This lady was a known, disturbed person. She was pretty intense and would have episodes. In fact, my memory is that a week before this incident, she was taken out of the apartment complex by an ambulance. But I'm not 100% sure on this memory, but I do remember seeing her screaming at night as paramedics wheeled her out on a stretcher through the complex. Jesus. Now, when my mother and I see this woman this time, she grabs me and gives me a bear hug. Needless to say, I was a little scared. She says, you got out, and then laughed. I'm so glad. Suddenly, she paused when she saw my mom and got real quiet and said, Oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean. She trailed off, but my woman, but my mom insisted the woman explain herself. The woman proceeds to tell us that I was in the hospital with her. She was in the psych ward and I was there too. At this time, <gasps> I was either... Oh my God, <laughs> I'm scared. At this time, I was either 19 or 20 and this woman was possibly 40. I know that doesn't make a difference, but she was worried about me and felt like I didn't deserve to be in the psych ward. Apparently, I was nice and gentle to her there and made a real impression on her. Unfortunately, hearing this news did not go over well with me. I quickly denied it. My mom was my alibi because I was home during the time the woman thought I was at her at the hospital with her. She got real quiet, apologized, and walked away. That woman always looked at me with a strange look and a little bit angry at me after that. I blew it off. I mean, she saw me in a psych ward. But all of that changed after the next incident. I love comic books. I learned how to read at three by reading The Fantastic Four and The Incredible Hulk. There was a comic book store on Palm Canyon called Desert Comics. I was a regular. In fact, at this time, I spent a lot of my time in the store because there was a hottie work in there that I liked to flirt with. <laughs> One day, I walked in to buy my week's new issue. And I don't know if they do this anymore, but back in the day, comic book stores would grab your titles the day they come in and put them in a bin for you. That way, you can conveniently grab your comics when you had the bread and not worry if they got sold out. This time, I was looking to buy all the books in my bin. I was a little late by a couple weeks, but it wasn't a big deal. The girl running the place looked out for me. This time was different, though. When I asked for my bin, the girl laughed. I didn't understand. Then she reminded me that the new books didn't arrive until Wednesday, which I knew. 
This was a Friday, I think. Anyway, to get to the point, she tells me I bought my books on Thursday, basically the day before. I told her it wasn't me and that I wasn't even in Palm Springs that day. I spent all day at a buddy's house in an adjacent city called Cathedral City. She apologized, but insisted that it was me. Not only did my doppelganger buy my books, but he hung out, like I always did, and talked to her. She said he bought all of the books. And at this point, I grabbed some of the books off the shelf and split. I was really weirded out. That girl knew me, but she was completely fooled by my mysterious double. Anyway, I feel like this was a glitch. Over time, I would hear about my double, but again, they seemed like mistaken identity. When I left the desert, I stopped hearing about a double. I guess it was just isolated to my hometown. Thanks for your show. I really like it. See you on the other side. Michael. 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 Shit. I don't even know what to say about this because it's just so creepy. Yeah. Because it's so, like, it's not just one time. There's multiple instances. People who know him, people who don't know him that are convinced that they were with him. Right. And yet he has an alibi. It's not just like perhaps maybe he's sleepwalking or maybe he does have something going on and is losing gaps of time himself. Like he has people who can say like, what? No, you were with me in this town or yeah, you were home with me this other place. And the first experience, like the woman thinking that he was in the hospital with her is like, okay, that's fine. But then the fact that someone clearly impersonated him it's like that for sure is a doppelganger. He, the other version of him was living out his life just the day before he was. Yeah, that's what confuses me because it's one thing to see, to to have people mistaken you, yeah. mis- mistake you for someone else or like think that they see you somewhere. But to actually actively go and pick up like the books that were yours, it makes me skeptical about this doppelganger i once thought maybe it was just someone who looked incredibly like him but now it seems like it's just a doppelganger trying to warm up to take over his life this also could totally be a really interesting book like a kind of crime mystery book where this guy was in a mental hospital with his his neighbor and he realized, and the neighbor's talking to him and is like, you look just like my neighbor. And he he realizes that he can take over this guy's life when he gets out of the asylum. And so he, when he leaves the asylum, tracks down the real Mikkel and starts to like live out his life and tries to Sabrina, take over his life. Sabrina, you have to write this script. <laughs> Drop everything that you're doing. Quit your job. Quit your writer's workshop. Write this now. I won't quit the podcast, though. Did, I, I didn't list that as an option for you. Did you notice? <laughs> yeah, I did notice. So I just wanted to clarify for everyone. <laughs> quit everything. But, but this. Not this. <laughs> yeah. And it's also interesting where he was like, maybe it was just a glitch. What if it is a glitch in the Matrix? What if he's living his life in his same hometown, but something different? Like, it's just a slightly different version of his life where a few things go differently. I mean, Palm you know? Springs, Palm Desert is the one place that I feel like weird glitches and crossing of matrixes and parallel universes would happen. Weird things happen in the desert. Wow. That was crazy. Thank you guys for emailing yeah. us. If if you have ghost stories of your own, you can email them to us at twogirlsoneghostpodcast at gmail.com. 
And then we have social media and we'll post the uh, little girl and the shadow figure and the scratches and all kinds of fun stuff on our Instagram. So follow us on Instagram and Twitter and then also join our Facebook group where you can join like-minded people and share spooky memes, videos, ghost stories, pictures of cats, dogs, squirrels, all the fun stuff. If you are looking to support our podcast you can do that in a variety of ways you can rate and review us on itunes that's completely free to you it just takes two minutes of your time uh you can also buy merchandise we have different designs that amazing designers who are also listeners created for us so you can buy shirts mugs etc they're all on our website and represent our podcast and then you can also donate on patreon and all the money that we make on patreon gets pumped right back into producing a better show for you and hopefully doing other cool things in the future like live shows and just a note like corinne and i do literally everything for this podcast by ourselves on top of having full-time jobs and other outside of work activities that we do yeah and we research yeah edit we record we respond to emails yep we do try to social media things we're learning about taxes (laughs) (laughs) the hard way (laughs) where every dm that is responded when you guys dm us it's always us yeah. It's no one else. It's uh, us. But I will say, our Facebook group is admined by wonderful, amazing people. And they help us tremendously. Oh my gosh. Thank goodness for them. Yeah. So, so Patreon really, your donations go a long way. And it, it helps us manage our time and kind of put the effort back into the podcast. So we really do appreciate it. And it means a lot to us. So thanks, guys. Thanks for thanks. listening. See you on the other side. Very spooky.